You know, I feel like if the script was better, I'd like this episode more. And I know I'm just repeating myself at this point. Don't mistake me, this is a decent enough episode, and I could see why it became a fan favorite. This is actually listed in several popularity polls as one of the best episodes of Enterprise. Total. Ever. I have a feeling at least some of that is because of Jeffrey Combs, who is amazing and awesome, and manages a unique flavor with Shran. Or Shran? You know, I don't remember how they pronounce it, and I don't care. Shran. We're going to say Shran. This is also an episode directed by Roxanne Dawson, uh, the first of ten that she will do across Enterprise's run. I actually mentioned back in Voyager, I think, that she kind of got into directing with this one. But what's really interesting, more than anything else, is two things. First of all, Shran, Soval, and Daniels are basically the recurring guest characters of Enterprise. Oh, there's a few others. Uh, notably in Season 3, there's a few characters who are more regular. Um, Degra, obviously, and the evil Reptilian. There's also a few characters who make regular appearances in Season 4. But that's more arc-related. Those three characters I just mentioned, Shran, Daniels, and Soval, are effectively the, I guess there's actually Forrest as well, now that I'm thinking about it, are effectively the recurring guest characters across the whole show. We've actually already seen uh, Shran and Soval and Forrest, or sorry, Forrest and Soval. Here we see Shran. We'll be seeing Daniels in, I think, Cold Front is when he first shows up. But either way, I point this out because recurring guest star episodes tend to be rather popular, and usually with good reason, because Star Trek, like it or not, usually if they have a recurring guest star, it's because they, there's something good about them. You know, they've, they're a John DeLancey, or they're a Dwight Schultz, or whatever, right? So we tend to have good stuff going on. I mean, even Gowron was a fairly recurring character across two separate shows, right? Anyways, I'm bringing this up because that's the first thing that really helps to elevate the episode. And with Dawson at the helm, and she does a good job with it too, that works out as well. But the other thing is the fact that these are the Andorians. I'm going to talk more about that in a second, but I want to get a technical thing out of the way first. You notice how the antennae move? Apparently that was a huge make-it-up-on-the-fly, kind of see-if-it-works, super-hesitant kind of a thing. Because... Those antennae actually had, that, that's, that's physical practical effects. There were little motors and servos, and someone had a remote. And each Andorian had a separate uh, person, me mechanic, whatever you want to call that, who was at a remote controlling their things and knowing their cues and knowing when to make the antennae do what. And the actors were told, okay, these are going to be part of emotional cues. So this is going to be part of your presentation of the emotion you're trying to portray in a scene. And I think the effect's pretty good because they're not really distracting like they easily could have been. Instead, it's just part of the performance. So credit on that. And again, credit to Dawson, who was coordinating all this. But then we just have the fact that the Andorians are here at all. One of the things Star Trek has always had is the concept of uh, the, well, the regular bad guys. In TOS, it was the Klingons and then the Romulans, but mostly the Klingons, right? TNG didn't really have one. I know several people say the Romulans, and a lot of that's because of Season 3 and a little bit of Season 4 and 5, but you know, TNG kind of had their thing. DS9 is fairly obvious who their recurring bad guys were, but funnily enough, that one also shifted twice to the, from the Cardassians to the Klingons and from the Klingons to the Dominion. 
Voyager tried this format and failed at it um, consistently because first they had the trash hobos and they didn't work out all that well. Nobody was really buying that and so they ejected those after season two and we basically never saw them again. We also had the the Deans, which worked a little bit better but were still kind of hit and miss and were problematic behind the scenes. So then they came up with the idea of the Borg, which was an awesome idea, except for the fact that they're the Borg. So the more times you encounter them, the less believable it gets. You know, just kind of making the episodes worse and worse as time goes on. And that's exactly what they did. The Voyager neutered the Borg to the point of stupidity. You know, holodeck theory, etc., etc. Then <laughs> they uh, applied this new theory where they'd introduce a villain, have them be there for a bit, and have them leave their space, which I actually think was a good idea, but they didn't really do as much with that as I would like. There's really only two races that was significant with. One was the Herogen, and the other was the Hierarchy. They could have stretched that out more, and it was a good idea, but probably applied a little bit too late, which, of course, brings us to Enterprise. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice there's one intended bad guy race I didn't mention. The Ferengi. Now, some of you are like, what? But those of you who have actually been following these series with me, you remember the Ferengi were intended to be the new Klingons, the new bad guys of TNG. It's just that was a terrible idea that they had no idea how to execute, and they gave up on completely. Uh, I don't remember exactly when. I was tracking its progress of the Ferengi as we went through TNG on an episode-to-episode -episode basis, so refer to those videos for when that happened. I don't remember right now. That brings us to the Andorians. Now, don't mistake me. This is hardly the last outpost. This is way better than that. And I also think the Andorians overall work a little bit better, but the problem is the Andor they, they walked into this with the idea of having the Andorians be the big bad guy race, and so they were the big bad guy race once here. Uh, spoilers, but after this, the Andorians will shift from big bad guy into something else. Now, you, anybody who's a geek probably is like, well, of course they are. After all, the Andorians are one of the founding fathers, right? Of which there are four. There's the Tellarites, the Vulcans, the Andorians, and the humans. That's the founding members of the Federation, and that will be a plot arc in the future. But here, the problem I have with this is the Andorians are portrayed as bad guys. Not as villainous, not as antagonists, but as bad guys with all of the depth and complexity that that implies, a.k.a. none. I mean, ignoring the fact that they are heavily antagonistic and actively violent, in many ways they behave like stormtroopers. Not just because their aimists suck, but because of the fact that they keep they do all the classic bad guy mistakes, which allow the characters, the PCs, to be able to do what they need to do to fight back. We're going to hit you here, and we're going to beat you, and you're going to tell us... What we want to know. Yeah, you're going to tell us everything. Okay. Now we're going to leave you in a room by yourselves without monitoring you in any way, shape, or form, electronically or personally. And we're going to go leave. Bye. Talk about whatever you want to. Bye. 
This is so egregious that not only do they able to, are they able to get people out of that room into the secret corridors many times, they're able to beam us an assault squad into that room, and they only notice because they happen to notice there was an energy signature nearby, and even then they don't actually catch them in the act. This is how pathetic they are. This is how bad guy they are. Which leads me to the next and final thing, and I, I, I gotta admit it, this just puts a bad taste in my mouth to even comment on this, but then there's... Sexual predator bad guy Andorian. You know the kind. You know, all bad guys are eh, cliche, right? And he just kind of, do you want me to kill him so we can do the Vulcan mating ritual? It's just, what? Of the many things about this episode I can defend, there are actually quite a few. There are two things about this episode that actively piss me off. Eh, two and a half. One is this guy, and, and, and the half is the Andorians being bad guys thing. Which is just, what? The other thing we'll get to much later. <clears throat> I bring all this up because the Andorians being portrayed as bad guys is what actually ruins it. Not their purpose in the plot. Not why they're here, not what they're looking for. If they were less bad guys and more... <sighs> so what race are you? Are you interacting with the Vulcans? Have they conquered you already? You can speak freely here. We've taken care of all any bugging devices they might have in this room. You can tell me everything. Oh, you insist you work with them. Oh, that's ridiculous. The Vulcans would never work with anybody. <laughs> don't, be, don't make me laugh. Oh, they might not actually be telling you their secrets. Go back to their thing. See if it can work. And do you see the different take here? It makes the Andorians seem far more... Um, like people than, like, bad guys. Because remember, bad guys are not people. Bad guys is also a concept that is connected to another concept called acceptable targets. If someone walked in and shot all the Andorians, no one would care. And they shouldn't, because they're bad guys. No, there's nothing lost there. You don't care when 15 Jem'Hadar are shot, or 20 stormtroopers, or 18 zombies, or 15 Nazis, or whatever. Acceptable targets, right? Boom, gone, no issues. This is the problem. If they were portrayed as commandos who are here as part of a mission to figure out what's going on with what they suspect is a sensor array, then that would make more sense. But they're not. They're bad guys. And I hate to keep hammering this point, but because it's the overwhelming majority of the episode and a huge amount of screen time is devoted to it, you'll forgive me for ranting for a little bit. Because otherwise the episode's actually pretty legit. Which brings me to the Andorians themselves. This is the big point for anybody who is actually a fan. I've, this is probably the best cold open I've seen so far, and I know we're only on, like, episode 7 or whatever, but still. Vulcans praying, doors open, Andorians walk in, cut to credits. That's brilliant. It's short, it's punchy, it's to the point, and it applies to both audience members. The ones who know what's going on, a.k.a. people who are already invested in the show, who are like, those are Andorians. Immediate attention grab. Also, I mean, the name of the episode is The Andorian Incident, but it's possible you don't know that walking into this, or at least it was when television worked differently. Nowadays, it's not really the same, but whatever, right? So, Andorians, oh my gosh! Because we know what Andorians are, but they have had, for those of you not aware, Andorians have had almost no presence in Star Trek, despite being a founding member. Now, a lot of this is directly because of Gene Roddenberry and his mandate that they not reuse races from TOS when it came to TNG, a mandate that fell more and more and more out of use as time went on, and he died. But 
because <laughs> you know obviously he wasn't there to, to fight for it anymore. But the point being, they didn't use Endorians. They had a very brief com- uh, showy casing in um, I can't remember the name of the episode. Lol, when Data crafts a child, you know, right? Uh, freaks his first directing acting. It's what I remember most about that episode is the first episode he directed. Anyways. They had a brief showcasing there. They are referenced several times. They even talk about it during the Dominion War, but no actual presence of Andorians or Andoria. Having the Andorians be present here and recurring uh, species is, in my opinion, a very good move. Not only is it a race that we don't know much about, which gives them a lot of room in order to flesh out culture and society and all that fun stuff, but what we now see is that this kind of helps to explain how they went from this you know, an antagonistic force against the Vulcans to forming a unification, a a, a confederation, if you will, with the Vulcans. And just by seeing that they start off antagonistic, my interest is piqued. How do they shift from A to B? And this will be a long story that we'll go through later. (laughs) Now, you're probably thinking, well, hang on, Lord, what about people who are not familiar with the show? Oh, that's easy. Uh, This is your classic... Uh, monks are praying, armed men show up, danger cut off. So even if you don't understand Andorians or the significance of their relevance to the Federation, you can still get an idea for the fact that these are bad guys, and there you go. And yes, I think that's why they're bad guys. It's for the people who do not watch Star Trek. Remember that whole theory I have about them trying to cast the net further? So they're trying to show that these are bad guys, and then more people will be interested in the show. I don't know if that's true, just speculating. You'll notice I haven't even talked about any further than about 30 seconds into this episode. That's because I wanted to get all those complaints out right up front, because honestly, I do like this episode, other than the two big flaws. As I mentioned earlier, the technical achievements here with the the antenna and the directing are excellent. They have a lot of small and cramped sets to film in with a lot of debris. That is to say, there's a lot of things that get in the way of the camera and smooth shots. The fact that they manage this as well as well as they do is a great technical achievement. Huge credit to Dawson. Um, so, we get to the ship. They, they talk about how star charts are boring and dumb because people have already been here, which I'm not even going to comment on that. Uh, then they talk about Kolinar. Yeah, um, Kolinar is the purging of all Vulcan emotion. Something Spock tried to do and basically failed at uh, during the motion picture. I'm not sure what I think of Kolinar as a concept. I also am not sure it's actually possible. But then again, Vulcans are literally psychic, so what the hell do I know? Either way, this then leads to what could have been an interesting olive branch. This is part of the the thing I don't like about this episode. The Vulcans are portrayed in a fairly negative light in basically every scene. Even on the Enterprise, T'Pol's like, no, we shouldn't go there. And Archer is like, well, I could reach out an olive branch to you and admit that I'm just trying to, you know, mend fences between myself, who is a a species bigot, and the Vulcans, as well as you, since you're my science officer. But uh, you know what? I'm just going to rub your nose in it. It is then Phlox who actually reaches out to her and has an actually excellent scene where he's sitting there. And you remember how I mentioned how overt and irritating the slug analogy was back in the second episode? Here, Phlox is once again involved with an analogy, and he does a much better job of it because it's a lot less in your face. So she's eating a a bed of greens because she's a vegetarian, and he reaches out, grabs a stick of celery, and says, May I? 
And as he's talking, he talks about IDIC, or IDIC as some people pronounce it. Infinite diversity in infinite combinations or infinite complexities or whatever it actually stands for. Every time I say it, someone corrects me. And you know what? At this point, I don't even care. Because the point is, it's the mass effect ideal. You know, we, we find uni unification in our diversity. You know, the idea that because we are different, we are now stronger together. It's something I actually believe in in real life to some extent or another. You know, buying an input, getting multiple people, yada yada, right? <clears throat> so, he starts talking about this concept with her. And as he's doing so, he just casually, you know, here, I got, I'm a, I got my carrots right here. So he just, he just kind of casually dips the, the cucumber, or the cucumber, excuse me, the celery, it will start with C, into his food. So now he has combined the two. He holds it up for a second and takes a bite out of it. It's not the most complex or nuanced thing in the world, but it's nicely understated, getting across the point. He has now combined her food with his, and now he has something he likes even more. He doesn't even comment on it. He doesn't say, I have just done this to demonstrate IDIC. No, instead he, he just does it and continues talking to her. Credit to that. Then, of course, Phlox continues to try and convince her that she should actually be interested in doing this, and she is hesitant. And you get the idea that she's hesitant specifically because she is prideful. I don't mean that as a negative thing. One of Spock's biggest character traits is his pride, which is massive. This is true even in the original series, but this really comes up in, in all of his, real, his presentations. He is so prideful that he does not want anyone to see him lose control for even a second. It is thus so rare that he does, because he can't withstand that. One of my favorite moments in a muck time, and I haven't even watched it again, so this is just from memory here. Remember, I haven't covered TOS yet. One of my favorite moments is that Kirk refuses to tell the truth about what's going on with Spock to high command and instead endangers his career for his friend's sake because that damage to Spock's pride would be so substantial and the shame of it so severe that it would actually be legitimately damaging, not just, oh, you know, I don't want them to see me in a red dress kind of a thing. I think, personally, Nimoy would look excellent in a red dress, but that's neither here nor there. So, I mention this because T'Pol demonstrates a very similar thing. Most Vulcans do, to some extent or another. Even uh, Savik, excuse me, that took me a second. Or no, not, no, not Savik. Uh, no, not Surak either. Sarek, there we go. God, their names are too similar. We've got Surak, Savik, and Sarek, which are all three very different people. One of which is a woman. <clears throat> Sarek did the same thing over in uh, Sarek on TNG. The idea of him being out of control, of not being capable of emotionally restraining himself, is something that he has such a difficulty accepting because it bothers him so much. Forgive me for gushing about this moment, but this makes so much sense that T'Pol does not want to be seen by venerated, you know, highly esteemed Vulcans with these guys. Do you blame her? How many times in your life have you ever had a group of friends or friends that you didn't really want to, to be seen around, especially with specific other friends or family members or loved ones? Yeah. So then T'Pol gives the rundown. It's actually fairly basic. Don't speak unless spoken to. Be very polite when you're given the thing. Bow. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. You know, very basic level stuff. 
I point that out because the episode then kind of screws it up by portraying it as if it's this big thing. They even have the line, man, I thought Starfleet training was tough. Yeah, I didn't think the same level of etiquette you would have when, you know, going to a relative's house would be such a big deal. But what the hell do I know? Anyways, so then the episode meanders for a little bit, just a little bit. Um, they kind of walk in and they, you know, they're not sure what's going on. The door's busted open. There, you know, there's an excuse. So okay, whatever. What I, what, the reason I say this scene meanders is. To Paul picks up on the fact that something's wrong almost immediately, but doesn't act on it. Archer then meanders, and I wonder if he believed her that something was up and was thus trying to figure it out, or if he's just being a dick. Because it could either be either one of these things. It could also be both. What do you think? Honest question. Because in my estimation, he doesn't have any actual, like, aha, I figured out something's wrong moment until he literally sees the, the mirror image and the vase of the Andorian hiding behind the little whatever. So then they tackle him, because they're stupid, and, you know, it doesn't work out well, and he loses a... F oh, he loses a fight! Right, 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 hang on. There we go. He loses a fight. We're going to keep track of these. <clears throat> and we see the Andorians are the bad guys. I've already commented on this, so I'm just going to brush over this really quick, if that's okay with you guys. So then the Vulcans are dicks, this is a situation you have made worse by your mere presence. Sorry for wanting to visit? Which, by the way, I know what you're going to say. Well, these people don't really want visitors. Um, they have an entire ritualistic procedure for visitors. Don't tell me they're not used to people coming by to honor them. Remember that their overall motivation to do this really is just, this is an ancient temple that we would like to visit. You're our allies. I haven't seen this thing in a long time. May I let me please visit? Sure. Archer even mentions that he wanted to call ahead so they know they were coming, specifically to make sure that this was on the up and up. For all the other things I could blame Archer for, he's not actually being a dick here. Not in the initiation. Anyways. So, Reed starts establishing standard practices. Maybe you should scan for other ships before you beam down or go down in a shuttle pod. Maybe you should regularly check in at regular intervals. What I love is Hoshi is like, you're just overreacting. I'm sitting there thinking, no, no, that should be standard procedure. Thank you, Reed, for having basic competency. It's good because you're the only competent crew member of this entire episode. No, I'm not joking. I suppose Tucker qualifies too, but whatever. Anyways. <laughs> so the Andorians apparently don't know anything about human relations. I find that interesting. You'd think a race that has interactions with the Vulcans and has had hostile interactions with the Vulcans for some time and also, you know, are paranoid and are portrayed as, you know, oh God, I know they're watching us kind of a thing. You would think that they would have some kind of interest in finding out who the Vulcans are interacting with. I mean, if you're that kind of paranoiac individual, maybe learning that the Vulcans have communication and diplomatic channels with the Klingon Empire might be something of interest to you, just to name one example. Never mind the fact that they are in a regular military alliance with another spacefaring race. Anyways. Then Reed is awesome. There's this great bit where... Uh, He's on the ship, and Travis says, Well, you heard him. We can't do that. Which, 
I, I, I say that in kind of a whiny voice because it's stupid, but I don't blame him for it. He is an ensign. He's not trained for command. Reed then is competent and says, I don't take orders from a voice over a comm, which is absolutely right. First and foremost, assuming that everything you hear over the phone, so to speak, is legit, is already a flawed premise. Second of all, given the circumstances, trying to deal with the situation immediately is absolutely the highest of his priorities. So, yeah, no, I'm with Reed on this one. Again. I swear it's not just because of Don McKeening. I really do like the character. <laughs> uh, and then the, the prisoner arena thing. I, I feel like I've already made fun of this. Did I already make fun of this? Because the bad guys pull a bad guy move where the prisoners are allowed to talk freely multiple times. Yeah, I did. I did. I already made fun of that because they're bad guys. They're bad guys. Uh, occasionally, they come in to be like, mm, is anyone in here? Okay, and then they leave. No one stays behind. No one. No monitoring equipment. No regular peeking through. No trying to see, look through quietly when they don't know they're... No, they're bad guys. Moving on. By the way, did you know that humans smell to Vulcans? It's so funny how much Neelix can't cook. I'm sorry, this actually irritates me because it is basically done for stupid comedy. It's it, it, there's even a line where the only line of dialogue between one of the monks and T'Pol is, "How do you deal with the smell?" It's okay. I had olfactory, you know, implants or whatever that dull my sense of smell because it's just that horrible. And at one point, she insists on effectively freezing rather than getting under a blanket with Archer to share body heat, which sexist jokes or sexy, hmm. immature jokes aside, is actually a very valid and legitimate way to maintain body heat in a cold environment. Because he smells so bad, ha ha. Whatever. Moving on. Like I said, the Vulcans don't exactly get out of this one pretty good either. So, then they mention the transporter team and the assault team, and they knock both of those out. Why don't they beam the Andorians out? Just a thought. Beam them up one at a time. Or two at a time. They're, they're not all in one group, too. They're roaming around scanning. So beam one of the people out and about. Then beam another one out and then beam another one out. They beam people down, so the transporter is a tool now, okay? We're past the point at which I can say the transporter shouldn't be used because they decided to use that in the first episode. What do you want from me? It's, it's a freaking tool. Use it. But no. Instead, they decide to beam down an assault crew who, rather than taking advantage of a very defensible position and a narrow entryway, decide to rush off to have a surprise attack, which goes badly and fails to ambush anyone because we need to make sure that the big reveal happens. Oh, my God. I swear I like this episode. One of the bits I do like is T'Pol expresses her pride in a different way. Archer is talking with her, you know, are you with me? I need to know whose side you're on. I need to know where you stand. She says, are you questioning my loyalty? And he says, I need to know where we stand. Which is, yes, yes, he is questioning your loyalty. Now, what's funny is, I don't think he did that deliberately, but because he provokes her so overtly, she then has to prove her loyalty. No, I am loyal. I am a loyal officer. I am a good officer. Pride. And again, I'm not making fun of that. I like that. It is part of her character. We are actually establishing part of her character, other than competency. It's just a shame that it's basically the Spock thing again. Anyways. Sue. So, 
Um, to, <laughs> then what happens is probably the dumbest scene of the whole episode, which is where Archer goes through and is like, I've got information for you. Then he gets the crap beaten out of him for a while so he can verify that the, the mask goes through the area. Well, BSing. Very, very badly. He's lucky they didn't kill him over that, because they, based on how they're portrayed up to this point, they totally would. But no, they just beat the crap out of him for a while. So they beam down the team, they go over, uh, they leave someone in the room finally because they detect the beaming. About friggin' time. Then we have to have the sexual assault scene, which can go to hell. And then finally they fill at the ambush. Oh yeah, by the way, Archer loses another fight. Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna give that one a bit of credits. He's had a really rough day of having the crap beaten out of him. We'll let that one slide. Woo. We'll move our mouse unintentionally though. So Archer loses the fight. Reed comes in and is extremely competent and takes out all except for like two of the Andorians because Reed knows what he's freaking doing. Then the Vulcan gets preachy, because that's what Vulcans do, and then they fight, and they fight, and they end up destroying lots of stuff, and oh, oh, there's there's a door over there behind that, huh. I wonder what that is. What I wonder even more is how nobody actually noticed this freaking thing, but let's, let's ignore that for a second. Then they see the sensor array. And you already knew it, you knew it was coming, didn't you? This is the other thing I don't like about this episode. I'm kind of with it, you know, I'm kind of enjoying it. Jeffrey Combs is amazing, and there's some decent character stuff for DePaul and Reed. So Reed gets some good stuff, DePaul gets good stuff, and Jeffrey Combs is amazing, as he always is. I'm not going to talk too much about Shran as a character here, because honestly, he's kind of not a character. He will become a character later, and I will talk about him later. But what happens here is they discover that the Vulcans are spying on the Andorians. Now, I want to share something with you. I was looking up some stuff to try and find specific details about the peace treaty between the Andorians and the Vulcans. They imply that the Vulcans spying on them is a violation of that peace treaty, which is kind of stupid, but whatever. Let's let's go with it. Um, couldn't find anything actually verifying that, and I don't think they said that in the episode, which I just watched, but then again, my memory is terrible, so what the hell do I know? But I bring all of this up, because while I was going through it, uh, there was this thing in, in Memory Alpha, which was written basically, never again would the Vulcans do cowardly and conniving tactics like trying to put scanning equipment in their monasteries to detect the Andorians. Back in the day, uh, there was this conflict called the Vietnam War, which was a colossal, unmitigated mess that we should have never gotten involved in to begin with. Uh, we, speaking as the United States, but we were not the only ones involved in that, obviously. It was a huge mess. And it kind of followed a trend that human nature tends to do. After, the, uh, after World War II, a lot of the soldiers who came home were heralded as heroes and welcomed with open arms. When a lot of the soldiers came back from Vietnam... Well, obviously that it is a little overstated, the kind of response they got, but there was still a fairly negative response in popular culture. And that whole anti-military bias, which is a more or less direct result of the Vietnam conflict, has something that has seeped into a lot of fiction, most notably Star Trek. I have said many times that I believe that that exact bias that kind of seeped into culture is one of the biggest reasons why TNG was so anti-military. No, 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 Starfleet's not a military, even though I think that's nonsense personally, because 
and this is why it pisses me off so much, military equals bad. And that's the mentality. The, the, the idea of being a part of the military is bad. We've had extensive discussions over on My Little Pony about how nonsensical this is, because there are so many things a proper military can and does do that don't involve killing someone, or trying to conquer, or trying to be oppressive, or whatever. And this is not just true recently, this is even true historically. Although, I will freely admit that the further back you go, the more likely that a military is just a roving band of you know, marauders, but point remaining. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because in the wake of the Cold War, and the wall going down, there was another thing that started entering into popular culture. Spies are bad. Now, this, is, this kind of idea didn't have the same kind of you know, infusion into culture, at least that I have seen, uh, as the military is bad thing. But spies being the bad guys and spying on someone being like, why would you ever spy on your ally? That's so filthy and degenerate. DS9 covered this too, by the way. Uh, both, both Section 31 in general and several things dealing with the Romulans in specific. You never, you, why would you, they're our ally. Why would we spy on them? Forgive me for going ahead and just being blunt here, but spying is actually one of the better tools for peace. Actual peace, not paranoiac peace. I'll never forget a speech that, of course, I don't remember the exact wording on, which was said, I think it was by Reagan, but it was said about how actually getting real factual data about the other side, you know, the East versus the West, was one of the biggest things that helped to deflate the Cold War to get rid of some of the paranoia and fear because, oh, well, this is what's going on. And this, they're nowhere near as bad as we thought. Realistically speaking, history has proven many times, not always, of course, that spying is a good thing for peace. <laughs> of course you spy on your allies. Of course you spy on your enemies. Of course you spy on people you have a treaty with. This is part of why I, I'm kind of, eh, on the whole, spying is not part of the treaty thing. Now, this episode, and Deep Space Nine, and a couple other things I'll mention, portrays spying as this dirty, underhanded tactic. How could you dare to watch them to make sure that a hostile power, which is right on your border, which has had a history of conflict with you, and to make sure that everything's kind of cool and you're forewarned in case anything goes badly. This is not, we're going to build a Death Star just in case they come out. This is not deterrence as it is usually portrayed. This is more like actual deterrence. Right? Now, I will freely admit that we're kind of dancing on a gray line here. And there's a lot of ways this can go both directions, to the point of the ineffectual, or to the point of way too much. And becoming an actual oppressive, you know, we're watching you. Cardassian state, let's call it what it is. The Obsidian Order, right? I see absolutely no evidence that the Vulcans are doing that whatsoever. They have an outpost that scans Andoria. Now, having gotten all of that irritation out of the way, then, then the episode really pisses me off because Janeway then decides unilaterally to make a decision based on her principles and decides that she's going to force DePaul to take all these scans of the area and then give them to the Andorians. And this is the right decision to do. Janeway is right in doing this. <sighs> yeah.
he even calls out to Paul directly. Got a problem with that? And just like this disgusted tone. How dare you? How dare you share the same species as these people who are doing something you weren't even aware of? Where do your loyalties really lie, Subcommander? What the hell? Where did that even come from? Now, whether this was a good call or not is, of course, debatable. In the long-term perspective, you could say that what Archer did here is correct, if not right, because this ended up smoothing out relations between humanity and Andorians. This is, remember, first contact with Andorians. Not a great first contact, although we've had a lot of bad first contacts, so what the hell do I know? Anyways. Regardless, this then does smooth over potential future relations between the two and may eventually have helped to lead to the formation of the Federation. Okay, I'm willing to allow that. But admittedly, that's really only with the advantage of hindsight. Nothing indicated that what Archer was doing here was correct. In fact, if anything, what he is doing is adamantly incorrect. Whether it's morally right or not is not part of this equation. And you can make your own judgment call on that one if you want. But he unilaterally decides to do something on behalf of his entire species, which is also an organization, and in so doing, severely alters the dynamic between another species and his military allies, the Vulcans. He decides to do this based on his moral outrage at the fact that they dared have a camera pointed at Andoria. And I hate to try and sound like I'm underselling this, but my point is, it's not like they open the thing and it's like, oh my god, the Vulcans are secretly researching a way to eradicate the Andorians, or they're constructing the Death Star, or something that might actually justify the moral outrage. No, they were spying on them. That's it. And they dared to hide their spy facility. Um, then the episode ends. It just kind of stops after that point. The good news is that Enterprise does do one thing better than Voyager. It actually has continuity, such as it is. So this will actually come up in the future. But I will be freely honest, I don't remember how exactly. <laughs> I really don't. So we will see how this affects things going forwards. But for now, I will see you guys next time. Wait, are you spying on me? How dare you!